<laughs> well, we want to say greeting to the kids. Kids and families, as you wave and make, make some noise, as Chris Bowlby, our associate, would say, hey! Oh, that's great. Well, kids, you have uh, your activities and your challenge. And just a reminder, at the conclusion of the service, you can take your completed activity to our children's pastor, Danya, out in the lobby, receive a prize. We just are so proud of how our kids and families are engaging in the midst of, of all of this. So, ah, yes, indeed. Well, and last week, Danya taught... And I, I think she scooted out of the room here. I wanted to say good job to Danya. <laughs> so good, good job, Danya, wherever you went. <laughs> uh, well done, wrapping up our teaching series, All Things New. Um, one note on prayer this week, 7 a.m. and noon every day. However, tomorrow is Martin Luther King um, it's a holiday, and so I'm going to give the staff space to just kind of breathe, and so we can pray on our own. We won't be opening the building um, at 7 or at noon tomorrow. Just keep that in mind as you are making your weekly plans. Okay. All right. Let's see. Where are we at? Oh, yeah. I have notes, so there's always hope, folks. Uh, as I mentioned at the beginning of the service, we are, teach- we are starting our new teaching series um, through Nehemiah. We're going to spend nine weeks in here. It's really, I think, profound. A couple of months ago, I did what I regularly do, and that is to take a couple of days away to pray and seek the Lord for where he is taking our church. And one of the things I'm often focusing on is what aspect of his word is going to be helpful for us in a particular season. And Nehemiah just stood out in that very rich time away and I'm very excited to, uh, to allow the scriptures to lead us forward um, as we go. So, yeah, okay, well, these are the verses that we will focus on. Would you, would you hear these verses, and then I will um, take us through some of the heart of where God is taking us. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the uh, month of Chislev in the 20th year, while I was in Susa, the capital, that Hanani, one of my brothers, and some men from Judah came, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and survived the captivity and about Jerusalem. They said to me, the remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach. And the wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. This is the word of the Lord. Father, Son, and Spirit, as we get a sense of what your word has for us, I pray, Lord, that you would open up our spiritual ears and eyes. As your son said, he who has ears, let him hear but the Spirit is speaking to the churches. May we hear this morning. Amen. Well, this last week in New York City, I said goodbye to my oldest daughter. She graduated high school last year, and she has accepted a full-time nanny position right in the middle of Manhattan. And so she's off to her first young adult adventure. 
And for those of you as parents who have been through this, you, you know what that feels like. For those of you who are remember that young adult voyage for yourself, you might remember how much you wanted to be away, but when the moment came, it was... <laughs> I loved it. I was with Jennifer two and a half days in a new place. In that new place, we both felt far away from home. But also in those two and a half days, I experienced the whole arc of parenting. When we arrived, she needed me like she hasn't needed me in years. As we traveled together, she needed me, and I felt joy paying for, for everything and making sure we knew where we were going. But after we were there for a day, she was going to remain. And I realized that I, I couldn't just do everything for her. I had to allow her. I said, Jenna, I, I love being your dad. And I want you to, I, I would love nothing more than just to lead you through the city. But I need you to lead me now so that I'm confident that as I say goodbye, that you can. And so I was the other arc of parenting. When you start to let go, I'm experiencing it all. And then the final goodbye, she stepped away, the full arc of parenting. I loved it, to be her provider and protector. And she trusted me, and I loved being a dad. She was dependent, but after a day in the city, as I said, I started to release her. I saw how unsettled she was. <laughs> but I knew I had to let go. She will adjust and she will find her way in New York City for however long that she is there. I sat in LaGuardia Airport on my way home, and I looked back over the East River into Manhattan, where Jen and I had spent those two days together, and I wept. I wept because I knew Jenna wasn't at home. Not only was she not literally at our home here in Salem, but she no longer felt at home anywhere. And while I know it's so painful and I, I was grieved for her and grieved that I couldn't fix that, also I had this sense of how the Lord is going to meet her as she is displaced. When we have lost our sense of home, God can do something powerful in us. I venture to guess that the Lord is going to draw her near to himself during this time. Do you sometimes feel not at home even in your own country? I do. This season has dramatically shifted what our country feels like, even what it feels like to be his follower. And I'm so glad that the scriptures lead us. We will find ourselves in the scriptures in the coming weeks. We'll find ourselves in here. This is us. A land that doesn't feel like it defines us well enough, displaced. Even in our church, it can feel so different. And here's the big idea this morning. Nehemiah is going to help us to see that indeed we are exiles. And so we don't feel at home. But God is working in the midst of that. So even as you reciprocate my emotion of my daughter not being at home and as a father wanting to fix that all, but recognizing that the very season is for her benefit, so too our father is not going to fix it all for us in a moment, but is going to allow this season to draw us to him and to mature us and grow us. And we will see this arc play out with Nehemiah. All right, so to understand what uh, 
Nehemiah is all about. If you're newer to the Bible, you're just like, where are we at? Where are we talking about? Hope to get a sense of this. We have to rewind to catch up what is happening in Nehemiah. This is a key point in Israel's history. They have found that they have no home at this time, no nation. There's no king. Their ancestors had repeatedly turned away from God over and over. They were warned, turn back to God, trust him. But over and over, they chose the gods of the culture around them. And over and over, they traded out their dignity as God's chosen people to be just like the nations around them. And so they were sent to exile. So exile, the year is 597 B.C. The nation of Israel has this experience, the whole arc of being a nation with kings that were impressive, but then often were oppressed. This is the first time they're actually a nation state. And the year is 597, and God's judgment comes through Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar. You've probably heard of King Nebuchadnezzar. He sent his troops into Jerusalem, and they pitilessly killed men and women, children and old people. Second Chronicles 36, if you want to read a more detailed account, tells us that few survived, and the few who were survived, the who survived were sent as exiles captives to Babylon. I want you to imagine being one of those captives. A slow and long march to a strange land with strange customs, a strange language. Tears would overwhelm you, but also grief might be too much and you would be left with hollow memories of what might have been. Perhaps the warnings of Jeremiah. Jeremiah, who was one of the prophets who warned them before exile and then went to exile with them. Perhaps his warnings would have been reverberating in your mind and you would have wished that you would have listened. Jeremiah is recorded as saying this. This is God speaking and he says, has any nation ever traded its gods for new ones even though they are not gods at all? Yet my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. The heavens are shocked at such a thing and shrink back in horror and dismay, says the Lord. For my people have done two evil things. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. Oh, how you would wish to go back, to refuse the idols, to take hold of God who said, I will be my God, your God, and you will be my people. But you cannot. Now you are of the generation of exiles, defeated. You march with 80,000 others to Babylon. And it would seem, it would seem that this is the end of the people of Israel. It would seem that his chosen people would just be absorbed into the long and predictable history of empires and takeovers. But God is a creative God. He is never finished. He decides that he can use this time of exile to weave something into his people. It would seem that his chosen people, or excuse me, he already has a plan of rescue. But also he wants to use this time to broaden the identity and the expectation of his people. 
So for over 100 years, from 597 to 458 BC, several generations of Jews would live predominantly in exile. And from these generations, you're going to recognize these names, from these generations, great heroes of courageous faith, Esther, Daniel, emerge. The great prophet Ezekiel weaves his poetic apocalyptic prophecies, and the Isaiah scroll is added to and compiled in this time of exile. Listen, during this time, the the Jewish people, they had seeds of expectations planted into them that would bear fruit later, that they could be, listen, this is what God was teaching them, that they could be a people held together, not by a nation state, but by an allegiance to God in his holy words. Never again would the nation of Israel have autonomy until 1948 when the nation of Israel was given autonomy. Never again would they. But God was telling them and showing them (laughs) what Jesus ultimately fulfills, that his people do not need to be defined by a nation state. In exile, they would have no temple, no home, no power, but they would be again reminded of the rescuing power, Yahweh, the one true God, the God who had rescued them from slavery in Egypt. And God's faithfulness, Yahweh's faithfulness would be shown. As the exile went on, now a new king is in charge. His name is King Cyrus. He is the Persian king who who overwhelmed the Babylonian empire. And he felt compelled to send the Jews back to rebuild the temple to their God. And so there's this There's this first, um, the exiles, they return, and Zerubbabel, (laughs) Zerubbabel, (laughs) Bible names are fun, (laughs) Zerubbabel led the way, and many priests and Levites returned, and the construction of the temple, the reconstruction of the temple that had been decimated began. And even though they were sanctioned by the king, Even though they were sanctioned by the king, they were opposed, they were discouraged, but the temple temple was eventually completed. We see this in Ezra, which comes right before Nehemiah. And then the priest and scribe Ezra, he arrived back in Jerusalem. He led the returning exiles, listen, in revival, in a dedication to the Lord. And there's this new revival that is emerging. But the walls of Jerusalem had been torn down and they remained broken. They remained very vulnerable. And this mini revival underneath Ezra's leadership and this spark of hope for this exile community to be united again seemed to dim. And that's where Nehemiah comes in. Nehemiah, who some have called an urban planner. (laughs) Nehemiah is serving now the king of Persia, Artaxerxes, and he is the king's cupbearer. And he is serving the king at his favorite winter retreat in Susa. And Nehemiah is his memoir of what happened. So that's what Nehemiah is, first person. It's an autobiography. This is what happened. And so we go back to those first two verses. So you've got the context now. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hekelah, Hakaliah, excuse me. Now it happened, it was the month in the month of Chislev in the 20th year, while this is again Nehemiah writing, while I was in Susa the capital, that Hanani, one of my brothers, and some men from Judah came, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped 
We just talked about that. And had survived the captivity and about Jerusalem. What's going on there? He's asking. How are things as these people are sent back to rebuild the temple? They said to me, the remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach. And the wall of the Jerusalem is broken down and the gates are burned with fire. Although sanctioned by King Artaxerxes, but before that King Cyrus, to go back and resettle Jerusalem or rebuild the temple, they were still opposed. The protections of the government were limited. They were exposed, vulnerable, and now they were continuing their exile-like experience in their own homeland. In their own homeland where they had longed to be back and to feel the safety and the security now they're feeling like we might as well be in Babylon. The memoir of Nehemiah that will take time in the next nine weeks to study gives us the account of the courage and determination of Nehemiah as they successfully re rebuilt what they had lost for so long. We're going to see in the autobiography of Nehemiah hints of the strength and the focus that had come as a result of their long exile. Nehemiah and God is going to be able to capitalize on this new focus that was given to these people that had been through so much difficulty. Previously, before the exile, they had been so petty. They had been so divided. They had been so contentious. But now in Nehemiah, we're going to see the people rally together for a common cause. In past times, when the enemies, when the nation enemies around them would threaten them, they would often make unholy and dubious alliances with foreign powers. They would not trust God. They would refuse his prophets. But they would trust other governments and they would trust other, other kings and they would suffer the result of such bad treaties. But in Nehemiah, we see a gritty people led to success because they trust God we're going to see how vulnerable they were. They trust God and they follow their courageous leaders who are out in front, giving them courage and encouragement to continue with this worthy project. They would refuse in this time unholy alliances and practices. And because of their faithfulness, a solid God-focused identity would be formed in this fledgling community. And hundreds of years later, Jesus would be born from the descendants of that community who had done the hard work of establishing a community, even without national privileges. And he would fulfill ultimately what all exiles long for. And now us. And why I think this is profound and prophetic scriptures for us to work through in the coming weeks. As we emerge from 2020, we emerge from a divisive and contentious political season. We are discovering across all spectrums more and more clearly our own feelings and experience of exile. 
After reviewing this message, a former New Hope member who's now moved to Southern Oregon, his name is Nate Maddox. If you're around, you remember Nate the Great, six foot eight. <laughs> he observed in reading this message that both conservatives and progressive Christians alike are experiencing a lack of home and a lack of center, a lack of being wanted. Hmm. As the greater evangelical church in America becomes more and more intolerant of any political deviation from the right or from the moderates, progressives feel unwanted and, and even demonized. Listen, just this last week, just this last week, I received three messages from young adults in their 20s saying how ostracized they feel by Christians in America that they are unwanted because they have some political opinions that are different than their conservative brothers and sisters in Christ. They feel demonized. One told me, she says, I'm taking a break from the body of Christ for a year because I feel like I'm not wanted. <sighs> even if they love Jesus and want to serve him and even want to openly dialogue, they are increasingly feeling unwanted. Conservatives relate. Conservatives feel disconnected from their homeland and national trajectory. Conservatives are deeply concerned about the changing sexual norms, fluid gender identities, abortion, big government. They see this current transfer of national power as dangerous, as increasingly secular. Listen, I don't have to tell you, you can see it right along. Fearful whispers of Karl Marx and communism make their way into now nearly every political conversation. As Nate remarked, we are all united by feeling unwanted. There's something to draw on here in the scriptures. It is an aspect of our nomadic identity as exiles that was strongly woven into the people of God from the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. That we are all feeling maybe displaced unwanted, unmoored, untethered, and vulnerable. And maybe that is exactly the place that God wants us to be so that we can be a people who find our home in him and in each other, restoring bonds of strength that come as we are focused on him and him alone. Hmm. Stanley Hauerwas and Will Willimon wrote a tremendous book in 1989, so <laughs> this isn't new necessarily. It's called Resident Aliens. And through this book, they talk about the advantage that it is for Christians to be strangers in their own land. To be exiles. To be wrestling with the feeling at home. I think that they would contend in this book that the more we are with Jesus, the more we will discover that we aren't actually at home but also that he gives us the power and the wisdom to make our home here as an outpost, as a colony, so to speak, in a world that desperately needs the good news of the kingdom of God. Hmm. This is a quote from the book. They say, and again, this is written 20 or 32 years ago, the church exists today as resident aliens, 
an adventurous, adventurous colony in a society of unbelief. I love that. As a society of unbelief, Western culture is devoid of a sense of journey, of adventure, because it lacks belief in much more than the cultivation of an, of, and the cultivation of an ever-shrinking horizon of self-preservation and self-expression. Hmm. An adventurous colony. Adventure is in our DNA as Christ followers. We have work to do to rally together like we'll see the people did in following Nehemiah and following God. Think of how many thousands of people that we can touch and affect every single day. God is asking for us to be strengthened so that we can do the good work as a Christian outpost. We are an outpost. We may feel that governmental protections are crumbling and that might be true. We might feel that the enemies are closing in, and that might be true. We certainly don't feel at home. We may long for comfort or ease, or even we might long for a broad cultural influence or power. But really, what we are in for is the thrilling ride of discovering God's faithfulness as aliens in a foreign land. It won't be easy, but it will be good. Peter later is the one that reminds us of this. In his letter, 1 Peter, he says, remember that you are foreigners in a strange land. In the coming weeks, we will develop fresh strength for this audacious task through the word, through Nehemiah, through this account, this autobiography, and we'll see we're not alone. We're actually greatly strengthened by the scriptures. Before I close, here's what to do <laughs> if you are a part of us. Here's what you need to do. You need to link up with your brothers and sisters. You need to link up and be strengthened. Community groups are relaunching. Some groups that have been. Some new groups are forming. Um, and you can go to inewhope.org and sign up. There's a variety of times that you can sign up for. We encourage you strongly to be a part of a community group. Most of them are meeting here at the church building in person. Um, some will be online uh, only or, or Zoom only. So there's a variety of options for you. We encourage you to, to sign up and link up. And just a reminder of how this works here. When we get back in the community group rhythm starting in February, our Sunday teaching is accentuated with spiritual discipline practices and thoughts and further study through the, through the week uh, through our devotions at nhgroups.org. And then in your community group, you are, you are digesting more in conversation. You are practicing together these things that we are learning. And then you are being supported in one, with one another as we walk through together. So we really have a strategy that we would, from Sunday through the following Saturday, have an opportunity to march together with what God is teaching us and what he's doing uh, for us. So that's the big strategy here, and we invite you into that. We also will have a big community group launch night. Uh, right now, it's scheduled for Monday, February 1st in the evening. Here, where everybody who's a part of a community group will come, we'll go into more detail so that everybody understands how to participate and get the most out of this season and this process that we're going through. Again, that is on Monday, February 1st. And what to do next Keep joining us for prayer. The Lord is doing good things. As I mentioned, we won't meet for prayer tomorrow with the holiday, but Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday this week at 7 a.m. and 12 p.m. 
Well, as I close, I want to share a final quote from Frenchman Christian Gabriel Marcel. In 1942, he wrote this. And listen, it's not on the screen, but I just want you to listen as we're thinking about where we are at. He says, you feel you are hedged in. You dream of escape. But beware of mirages. Do not run or fly away in order to get free. Rather, dig in the narrow place that has been given you. You will find God there and everything. God does not float on your horizon. He sleeps in your very substance. Vanity runs. Love digs. If you fly away from yourself, your prison will run with you and will close in because of the wind of your flight. If you go deep down into yourself and into God, your prison will disappear in paradise. He says, God is with us. Our home is not here. But that is the point. To be at home with him while we sojourn through this life. We may feel hemmed in by strangeness. We may feel adrift. But do not flee. But dig in the narrow places that has been given to you. In this place, dear new hope, we shall find God and everything. Yeah. Can you bring that up so I can read it for the people at home that aren't able to hear that? Thank you, Angela. During worship, God spoke these words to me. Your heart is my home. Set aside the distractions and things that would inhibit me from entering in to dine with you. Unlock the shackles of your heart and allow me to enter in your heart is my home. Wow. The Spirit is definitely speaking that. Thank you. Hmm. Would you open your hands before you like this? We come bearing nothing and bringing nothing and having no strength of our own to provide for ourselves. But as we grow in life, we can develop a tendency to take a hold of our own lives and what God is asking us to do is to let go again and allow him to be the one that leads us. He will be our God. We will be his people. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I thank you for the deep work that you are doing in this time. We thank you for your word. And we choose now to respond to you by letting go of trying to make a home in this world and rather allowing you to be the home in our hearts 
so that we can be an outpost, a colony, an adventurous colony on mission for you. Bind us together in your love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Hmm. Here's what I'd like to do. Uh, we have George here. We have Danya here. It's a couple of our pastoral people. I see Jim and Joyce. And uh, this is breaking a little bit of our protocol. But George, would you make yourself available? Danya, Jim, or Danya, you got to be working with kids. So that, that's fine. Jim and Joyce. And, and just James is here too. These people are going to be here at the front for prayer for a couple of minutes. And we'll, we'll try to do the social distance thing. And, but <laughs> there's some people in here that need to be prayed for. And so we're, we're figuring this out. And so, um, so I'm going to ask you to, to, to gather your stuff and, and would you stand. And then these people are available for you to receive prayer directly right now um, uh, before you go. And so, and just a reminder, kids and families, check in with Donya for your prize on the way out. Okay, yeah. Yeah, you guys can just make your way right to the front and, and uh, be available for that. Lord, I, we just love you. We love your people that you are joining to New Hope. We ask that, Lord, you would strengthen. We ask that you would protect us and yet you would guide us going forward. And, Lord, we, we ask that indeed um, that uh, <laughs> this new season as it begins, that we would do so with our eyes focused on your hearts, totally open towards you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Okay, you are dismissed. If you'd like to receive prayer, these people are available to you.